0: So we're going to be looking at this over the next four weeks. This idea of what it means to be a part of a big church as a little you, okay? And again, this isn't the idea of like, oh, you're a small person in God's big plan, which, okay, you could take that from it. But this is the idea that church is not about you. Church is not about what you want. Church is not about what you think is the best way to do it. Church is about honoring God, bringing glory to God, and making his gospel known throughout the nations. (coughs) And so we're going to look at this over the next four weeks, this idea of big church, little you. And, And like I said, I really hope that as we walk through this, that this will really kind of uh, penetrate your heart and make make this something that is a that is a ministry vision not just for our youth group but for your individual lives. We talk all the time about how each of you has a personal ministry with your life that your life represents a ministry in god 's plan, and that that this mindset this idea this thought process would not just be the ministry vision for first Baptist Lowell student ministry, but it would be the heart and the mission the ministry vision for each and every one of your individual ministries so i really started thinking through again like the the stages of what the disciples went through and, and we're really going to we're really going to dive more into the disciples next week okay is really kind of where we're going to start looking at them cuz today is more about just a generic like why the church is why why Serving God, why the church, why God's plan is not about us? Because I think that our culture, our society, has made it to where everything in the world is about what pleases you, what you want, what you desire, how to self serve in everything, everything. And and, and I'm going to be honest with you, self centeredness is not a new concept in this world. That this is not like a, this is not like a you guys are not even millennials really, but you guys don't even understand. This will happen to you probably at some time, but the way that like some older generations look at millennials, like they're like, millennials, you know, like, okay, this is not like a millennial problem. This is not like a Gen Z problem. This is not, self-centeredness has been around since the beginning of time. And if you think, if you think about it, Adam and Eve were self-centered. Like You think about the first sin was a sin of self-centeredness. Adam and Eve didn't eat the fruit because they thought that it would help honor, or they, they didn't think it would help anyone or honor anyone. They did it for themselves. They did it so that they would make themselves what they thought would be better, that they would become like God in their ways. That was, the, that was what the serpent tempted them with was eat this fruit and you will become like God. And they're like, yes, please. I would like to experience that. It's kind of shocking to me that thousands of years later, I mean, thousands and thousands of years later, we're still sitting here falling into the same traps of self centeredness and still struggling <clears throat> with the same issues that the first humans that ever lived struggled with. I mean, if you think about everything in our lives, basically every facet of your everyday life has been the product of thousands of years of human evolution into like comfort, okay? And making things better. Think about it, like the bed you sleep in, the car you drive, the phone you use, the shoes you walk, like literally everything is so much different than it was at the beginning of time, right? When Adam and Eve, like, they didn't have Nikes. They didn't have a pillow top mattress. They didn't have sheets or comforter. They didn't have cars. That, like, literally over time, humans evolve, and they are like, hey, we need to get somewhere faster. We can ride a horse. You know what's even better? We can strap two horses to a cart that pulls us. You know what's even better than that? We can make an engine that drives it without the horses. You know what's even better than that is we can, you know We understand how things evolve. But somehow in the process of every civilization doing things better, we could argue that, but like in the process of every civilization trying to make things better for the next generation or better than the previous generation before you, somehow we've missed fixing this obsession on self-centeredness. And, and, and you know, I, I really started to think about why this is. Like, I think if all of us sat in here and we were like, hey, is selfishness a problem in our society? I think all of us would unanimously say, yes, people being selfish is a problem in our society. But yet none of us feel a burden to fix it because deep down on the inside, we too want to be selfish on some level. And, and we even have catchy quips Or sayings that we use to justify our self-centeredness. Like, if you want something done right, you do it yourself. Yeah. We say that all the time. I say it all the time. (laughs) But in reality, what we're saying is two things. One, I'm the only one who knows how to do it right. And two, I don't really want it done right. I want it done my way. I want it done the way that I think is right. And so clearly we can piece together from all this evidence and just like looking around at society that being self-centered is really kind of baked into our DNA. And and yes, I know like there are the rare exceptional people out there who are truly selfless. And I mean, we probably all can think of one of those people. But generally we can assume that all humans are driven by self-centered motives. When push comes to shove, when cards on the table, everything on the line You are going to trust yourself over someone else. Or you're going to take care of yourself, protect yourself over someone else. We've reached a point in society. Now, we're not just (laughs) self-centeredness. That point has always been in society. But we've reached a point in society where it's not just about self-centeredness more. But it's about trying to convince everyone else to be centered on you as well. And I'll explain exactly what I mean. And, and I call this self-promotion. And, and you guys will probably see where I'm going with this because you guys live in this world and you understand what self-promotion is. But I think about like every time I watch a video on YouTube, and I'm not talking about like the, the biggest YouTubers who have the most followers and everything. Like this is like some hillbilly redneck that's trying to show me how to boil shrimp. Like I'll and I do watch those videos, okay, don't judge me, but, because I like to cook, but anyway, and they know how to cook, but you get on there, you get on there, and you click it, and there's this guy in like overalls and no shirt under it, and what's the first thing he says in every video? You like this video, like and subscribe down there. Like, literally every YouTube video starts with someone saying like and subscribe to this video, because our world is so about self-promotion, like, we have become obsessed with the idea that we have to promote ourselves. We have to put ourselves out there and we have to let make sure that everyone knows that we know how to boil shrimp better than anyone else on YouTube. Okay? Like, that's the point we've reached in our society because the more we self-promote, the more people they get to follow them, the better it is for them. Right? We understand the idea that the more YouTube subscribers you have, followers you have, the more money you can make from ads and things like that, (coughs) which is why kids these days view being a YouTuber as a career aspiration. I remember whenever I was a kid, like, and you'd say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Kids would be like, oh, I want to be a firefighter, an astronaut, a policeman, a professional athlete. Now you ask kids, and I've, I've, I've honestly heard, you guys might think I'm kidding. I don't think you do because you guys go to school with these kids. I have literally talked with elementary school kids in the past few years and asked them, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they will say things like a YouTuber or an influencer. It's insane to me that we have become a culture that is so focused on this idea of self-promotion that we have lost what it truly means to be selfless in this world. You know, I think, you know, I talk about my kids, and, and, and Aaron and I were talking about this this week, that raising kids is truly one of the most, like, easy ways to come up with sermon illustrations because you see, you see biblical principles play out in the lives of your children But one of the things I've learned from watching my children, and I really do think this, I mean, Landon makes me question it at times, but I think that kids are generally born with kind hearts. Okay? Landon likes to fart on me for fun. Okay? And somewhere, so I think generally, like, because if you put a bunch of like, and, and, I, and I'm, being, I'm joking about Landon because he really does have a kind heart. If you watch him around his classmates and stuff, he is like the sweetest kid. He shares and he's always looking out for others. And I think that kids naturally have that ability. But somewhere along the line, we realize that if we want to get what we want, we have to step over to people to get there. Whether that means trying to make some sports team. Like, yeah, it's all about, you, 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 in your mind, you make it all about, I need to work harder, I need to be better, I need to do this. But we, we lose sight of the fact that if I'm on the team, someone else is off the team. I step over someone to get there. Or if I'm in the starting lineup, someone else is sitting on the bench. Because that, and and the most of the time, we're like, well, they need to work harder. You know, like, they need to be better like I am. But we lose this compassion for the people who we just step over because we become so focused on our own selfish desires and the things that we want to achieve in our life. And we learn as humans not to care about other people as much. And don't get me wrong. Like you can still achieve things in your life and care about other people like that is possible. But I think most of us probably have never really examined that thought about if I succeed in these areas, what does that mean for the people I'm succeeding over? But what scares me now is that the age that people are reaching this point where they go from this kind-hearted innocence to this like cutthroat self-centeredness, the age that that's happening is becoming younger and younger and younger. That kids are learning from a young age to be self-promoting, self-centered, to worry about what's best for themselves. That they're concerned about all these different things. We're literally creating a generation that, is, that in my mind is going to take self-centeredness to a whole new level. Like, we've clearly established that self-centeredness has been around since the beginning of time. But that doesn't mean it's stayed the same. I I genuinely think that we are raising a generation of kids who are going to take self-centeredness to a level so far that they are going to begin to be unable to relate to other humans. Like, I really feel like we're getting to that point. And this idea scares me to death, not just because my kids are a part of that generation, because that's the last thing I want for my own children, because of what we're about to look at right here, about this idea about how God calls us to be the opposite of self-centered, but because self-centeredness, a self-centered mindset is seriously the root of all sin. I mean, I want you to think for a second. If we define sin as anything that is contrary to, to good, and God is everything good. We can define sin as anything that's contrary to God. Okay? And so anything that we want for ourselves, that God does not want for ourselves, that we choose to, to pursue, is sin. <clears throat> so literally any sin that you can think of, you can boil down to the to the root of it as being something that is self-centered. It's what you want over what God wants for you. And if we we create this culture, if we create a society, if we create a generation of kids that are so self-centered that they don't even know how to relate to people, then the gospel's in real trouble. Because the gospel is predicated on being a relational way to share God's love. If you want more proof that that self-centeredness is the root of sin. Just look at James 3.16. It says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. Literally, the Bible tells us that envy and selfish ambition are the root of all evil things. Where there is self-centeredness, there is also sin. And you know, <clears throat> Honestly, it's one thing to allow sin in our society because I mean, I think that's expected because it's the world, right? Like, we know this whole idea of like the world is like the Bible refers to Satan as the king of the world because the world is his, like, it's God's creation, but Satan, it's his playground, right? So, we understand that. This idea that sin is going to be in the world. But we allow sin to come in our society is one thing. It's just to be expected to an extent. But what I fear is we have allowed self-centeredness and selfishness to infiltrate the church. And, and now I'm never going to be someone who's, who's going to say that the church is supposed to be a place free from sin because... There's humans in a church, so there will always be sin in a church, okay? So I'm not saying that a church has to be sin-free. However, the design of the church, the call of the church is to be holy, which means to be set apart. Which is the reason why when you guys come here, at least I feel like this is true, that you're on your best behavior, Maybe not you four. Okay. But like we come to church and we're like, hey, you know what? Because I'm at church, I- I'm not going to say these inappropriate things that I know I'm not supposed to say. Because I'm at church, maybe I'm not going to dress the way that I normally would like to dress. Because I'm at church. I'm not going to do X, Y, Z. Whatever it is. Whatever sin that you live in. <clears throat> you feel like you can't do that at church. Because church is the place where you're like the good version of you. And it's because. It's, it's for the right reason. Right? It's because we understand that church is supposed to be a place. That's holy. That's set apart. From the rest of our life. From the rest of the world. But. In doing this, we've allowed our self-centeredness to run amok in the church. We've like been so concerned about all these other sins staying out of the church that we've allowed the root of sin into the church. And here we are not only failing to keep this place holy, but rather bringing in our sin of self-centeredness and flaunting it around. I mean, I, think for a second. And, 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 and we just talked about this, but we typically take drastic measures to keep the sinful side of ourself outside of the church. But I want you to think for a second. If you took your deepest, darkest sin, I'm not going to ask you to call it out or anything, but just think about it for a second. If you took your deepest, darkest sin and you brought it in here on Wednesday night and you did that sin in front of everyone, whether it's cussing someone out or whatever it is, like, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and like, but I want you to think about how wrong that would feel. Like to come into church and to act that way against God. And as wrong as that feels in your brain right now to think about that is exactly how wrong it should feel for you to come into church and demanding things be the way that you want them to be. Because this selfishness, this self-centeredness is equal in sin as your deepest, darkest sin. But yet we have no problem coming in here and being like, hey, you know what? Um, I'd rather go to the gym today than go to the youth room. So we're going to go to the gym, right? Haven't heard that one. Today? Nope. Okay? Never. Or being like, hey, I really wish that we would play dodgeball tonight instead of volleyball. I'm really upset that we're playing dodgeball. We didn't play either. Or being like, why are we going to this camp? Like, I wish that we were going to a different camp. Or, why are we going on this mission trip? I wish we were going on this mission trip. Why does this person get to do this and I don't get to do this? Why are we having this event when I wanted to have this event? (laughs) Honestly, we could probably all sit here and we could come up with list after list after list of things that that people sit around here and they complain about. And they say that I wish it was this way. And I'm not saying this to like get on to you guys, I promise. Because I want want you guys to enjoy the ministry that we do at this church. And, And so to an extent, I don't mind you guys giving me your input and giving me your thoughts on what you like and what events things. But the truth is, that we say all these things and we say that it's in the best interest of the church. You know, if we had this event, you know, it would be, it would help our youth group be better. But the truth is, it's in your best interest. It doesn't necessarily make the youth group better, but it makes you feel better because you get what you want. And here's the thing. I know without a shadow of a doubt That God could not care less about 99% of the stuff that we sit here and argue about and try to decide on and everything. He cares that his name is glorified and that his gospel is proclaimed. That is it. You know, the Bible actually tells us where you can put your self-centeredness. Like it gives us two places for you to put your self-centeredness. I'm going to read you two. Uh, I'm going to read you one scripture and one passage that really point to the two places where you can put your self-centeredness. Galatians 5:24 says, "Those who belong with Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there." Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And then Romans 6, 1 says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised to the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. For if we have been united with him in his death, that we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might might be down away with it, that we no longer be slaves to sin. You want to know the two places where your self-centeredness can hang out? It's up on that cross with Jesus, and it's at the bottom of the baptistry when you were baptized. Those are the two places your self-centeredness can hang out. The Bible makes it very clear that sitting around obsessing over your desires and your wishes and your wants is sinful. And it also makes it clear that Jesus called us to die to our sins and follow him. So why then do we allow our self-centeredness to run rampant, not only in our lives, but in our church? You know, this message, like, I, 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 as I was writing this, I'm going to be honest for a second, because, I, I mean, I grew up in a church. I understand church dynamics. I feel like as I was writing this, I was like, man, this appeals to, this, this sermon needs to be heard by an older generation in the church who are like, don't want things to change and everything. Like, that's kind of what was going through my mind. And then it hit me that it doesn't matter which side of the argument you're on. It doesn't matter if you're you're right or if you're wrong. It doesn't matter what side of the stance you take in, in arguing your position. This message applies to you no matter what generation you're from or what side of the argument you're on. The only thing that matters is that we take every... Question: every plan that we do, everything that the church is, does, and will, will be, every direction of the church, every question about it, we filter it through two questions. What is going to bring the most glory to God? And what is going to meet, reach the most souls with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And if we run everything we're trying to decide through those two questions... I truly have a feeling that not us, not the you in the church, not the me in the church, not our desires will be done, but God's desires will be done. Because God's desire is for him to be glorified and for his gospel to be proclaimed. So if we sit here and if we throw everything through these two questions of like, hey, should we do this or should we do this in the youth group? Or should we do this or should we do this with the church? And we filter it through these two questions what brings the most glory to God and what is going to reach the most souls for the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the decision will no longer be a matter of self-centered opinion, but rather a a matter of God-centered necessity. So next time someone asks you your thoughts on something regarding the church, whether it's me, whether it's someone else, Don't just answer with your desires, your thoughts, your wishes, your opinions. But rather think about what would bring glory to God and what would advance his gospel. And then answer that question. Because that is the only way that we're going to be able to take the you out of church. Guys, and I understand that this was a pretty aggressive lesson. We talked about this last week, if you were here about how we kind of have a smaller group right now. And I really view many or if not all of you guys in here as leaders in this youth group, just because it's such a tight knit group that I feel like I can go into this lesson with you guys. I can challenge you guys. I can step on your toes and I can do that in the attempt to try to help you guys grow spiritually. Because I think that you guys needed to hear this tonight. Not because you're super offenders of this, but because we all are. We all come in here with our thoughts and our desires and our wishes for how things are going. We have to be people who focus on God and the gospel more than anything that we want. Period. And once we do that, once we truly die to our sin, it's not just something that we say because it's in a Bible verse like, oh, yeah, I died to my sin. Once we truly live that out, dying to our sin, then we can start to take the next steps that we're going to look at as we walk through this series. So I don't think I really said it today, but the title of today's lesson was Die to Sin. Because that is the first step in making church church making a big church with a little you. Let me pray for you guys. And see, we're early, Jace. I did it. And we can, we can hang out for a little bit. God, thank you so much for the sacrifice of your son on the cross. And God, I just pray that our sins, our desires would just be nailed to the cross with Jesus that they would be left in that baptistry when we were baptized, that we would leave that behind, that we would die to sin, that we would leave that behind and we would live a life serving this church, serving your kingdom that is focused on bringing you glory and advancing your gospel. God, we love you so much. We can never repay you for all that you've done for us. But I just pray that what you would do is you would just pour out your blessing on this group. Help each and every one of them to grow in their knowledge of you, in their wisdom from you, and just grow in in spirituality, God. God, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.